0: Well, have you ever noticed that life is sort of like uh, buying a piece of furniture from Ikea? Uh, When you walk through Ikea, how many of you have walked through Ikea before? Okay, a good number of you have. You walk through Ikea and it's sort of like this wonderland. Like, it's just amazing. Everything is beautifully put together and it's just sort of like the world that you want to live in. Everything is built and staged perfectly. If you go to the bedroom section, there's something that, you know, is inside of you that's just like, man, if my bedroom could be like this, or maybe if I could just camp out here for the rest of my days, life would be so much more beautiful. And maybe you do choose to buy a desk, or maybe you do choose to buy um, a bed or something and, and instead of having it delivered to your house in absolutely pristine condition to make it look like it, you know, it's supposed to look on the floor, uh, to make your house look like a Swedish wonder, uh, you instead get this card or you have to write a number down. And then you uh, find yourself having to go to a warehouse and search endlessly um, until you find your item that turns out to be super heavy and on the top shelf. And um, it's there that you, you get it down, and then you see the sticker on the box that says, some assembly required. And if you're able to get it into your vehicle and then get it home in one piece, you feel like you're doing pretty well. Then it's time to open up the box and I don't know if you're anything like me, but this has happened to me more times than I am happy to admit. But because I love you, I'm going to tell you about some of my flaws. Um, even though there are instructions that have pictures instead of words, which are great. I, hey, I value the Swedish way in that. Um, there are still uh, ways in which yeah, wouldn't you know that? Boy, technology, my iPad just killed on me. There are still ways uh, in which um, somehow I find out that 15 steps later or so, I put something on backwards or I've put something on uh, upside down. Uh, I had felt so proud and uh, then uh, it, it all comes crashing down on me in that sort of way. Or there was the one time when I was building a bed and I did it perfectly. There were no errors. I didn't have to shift anything upside down or go back a few steps and I went to install the crossbeams on the bottom of the bed and as I pick it up to put it in, I scratched the veneer of the headboard before I put it in. So here I am, thinking it was going to be flawless. And, and to many, it might seem like it was flawless, but in my heart, I know the pain. I know the struggle. I know the toil which it took, uh, the frustrations, the mistakes. Hey, even some of the blood that may have been drawn in order to get these things put together uh, but it's together at least, right? Life is sort of like Ikea on a grand scale. When we look at everyone else's life, it looks beautiful. And if our lives were like theirs, or if we could just maybe swap some their situation with ours, life would be easy. Life would be beautiful, and we uh, take our lives as... Uh, We look at our own lives as if they were just pulled from the top shelf. (laughs) Barely made it home in one piece. And there isn't just some assembly required, right? There's a lot of assembly required when it comes to our lives. There's no easy instruction for life. And the package didn't come with any tools that we need to get through this. Uh, Many of us go through life thinking, hey, things are going pretty well. Only to find out we put the wrong piece on backwards about five or six steps ago, and we have to go back and fix those things. We go through this life by getting scars and scratches, and in the end, we want to show everyone a polished product. But we know the work and the pain and the struggles and the toil and the deep flaws that it took to get this life that may not even be an accurate picture of what's going on under the hood. There is something very simple yet very profound that Jesus wants us to to communicate to us in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that is that While we may look at at others' lives like they are absolutely perfect, like an Ikea display, and while we try to put on a display or a front that is perfectly staged, there is one thing that you and I share in common, that underneath it all, we are all plagued with brokenness the the pieces of our lives are are scattered all over the floor we have trouble reading the instructions and we don't have the tools to put ourselves together now less metaphorically many of us walk around uh with the baggage of the past and the the present we walk around with the guilt of hurting other people and feeling the shame of the hurt that they caused in our lives and what jesus does in the lord's prayer as he has done so many times before this verse is that he recalibrates our mindset and helps us see god rightly and see ourselves rightly and he does this by teaching us how to pray. He has taught us how not to pray. He has taught us how to first focus on the goodness, the holiness, and the fatherhood of God. And he has taught us to how, how to have a kingdom mindset in approaching him in prayer. And last week we we saw how we need to trust him to provide for our every need. And in today's text, Jesus helps us understand our most desperate need, a need that is far more deep and important than food, and clothing, and shelter. He teaches us that we need to be at peace with both God and with others in our life. And peace with God is only achievable through the gospel. Peace with others is only possible through the fruits of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 12, Jesus teaches us that we need to pray to forgive God forgive us our debts as we forgive those as also we have forgiven our debtors. So there's three things that we need to learn today. And the first is is that we need to realize our desperate need for forgiveness. We need to realize our desperate need for forgiveness. You know, one of the most uh, serious challenges to Americans um, in, the, in the coming uh, years is the debt crisis. Now, I'm not talking about the, the, uh, the federal debt, even though that is a problem and it's going to come up and, and uh, it's going to be an issue in American life at some point. Uh, What I am referring to, rather, is the amount of personal debt that Americans hold. In 2020, the average household had a mortgage debt of $215,655. The average revolving credit card debt was just over $6,000. The average HELOC, which is a home equity line of credit, uh, debt is $49,929. The average auto loan debt per, you know, American households is 17553 and the average unsecured personal loan debt is around $5,500. Now we would all agree that credit card debt is bad. There are some financial gurus that will tell us that there is some good debt. They would say mortgage and student loans and all that. But it's hard to see how student loans would be good debt when I looked at the tuition rates for Bethel College. This week, I went to Bethel's website and I looked up what is their, what is their uh, tuition these days. Now Keep in mind, when I went to Mankato back uh, starting in 2000, uh, for tuition and room and board, I think I paid about $5,000 a year. If we were to go to Bethel, you're a new student living in the dorms, room and board, your tuition is $50,000 per year. Now, if you didn't have scholarships and if you didn't have all those other things and if you went through four years of Bethel and took out all loans, you're talking $200,000 in debt and that doesn't even take into consideration the rising uh, tuition costs of how things go. So you leave with $200,000 debt and let's say you have a teaching certificate coming out of Bethel College or university, I should say now. You have over $200,000 in debt. You're paying interest on it and you're starting in a job that might start around $35,000. How do you ever how how do you ever think that you are going to pay the rent or mortgage or uh, car payment or insurance or maybe even hope to have a family when you have that kind of debt that is hanging over your head at 23 years old? without a hint of sarcasm that the writer of Proverbs writes in Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. There is a debt crisis in America that is indeed serious. Now, in Jesus' day, debt was to be avoided at all costs. Debt in Jesus' day was literally a matter of life and death. If you defaulted on a loan, You couldn't apply for bankruptcy and hope that you could get your life back on track. In Jesus' day, if you defaulted on your debt, it was punishable by a prison sentence. Our prisons today are filled with uh, drug dealers and rapists and murderers and, and things like that. An ancient prison was full of people who were in debt. For all those other crimes, they were typically dealt with by either capital punishment or some sort of work service to get them out. If you were in debt and defaulted, you were put in jail until you could pay what you owed. So then the question is, how would they work off their debts? Well, the system wasn't designed for them to work off their debts. It was designed to put pressure on the families to come up with the money in order to pay off their debtors and get their loved ones out of prison so it is with that understanding then that jesus teaches us forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors now you may have come from a different tradition and you may have heard the lord's prayer differently You may have grown up hearing and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Although it's the same idea, both debts and trespasses here, uh, they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about sin. Debt is the correct way to look at this. For one, the author of this gospel, the one who is penning this, is Matthew. And if you remember anything about Matthew, he was Levi the tax collector. If there was anybody in Jesus' circle of disciples that knew about debt and knew about putting people in prison for their debts, it was Matthew. Secondly, we must think about this in terms of debt because trespassing is simply crossing a line that wasn't supposed to be crossed. A debt is something that we owe someone for some reason. Reason, And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus is not teaching us to uh, pray that God would forgive our financial debts. He is asking us to pray that God would forgive our moral debts. And in the context in which Jesus is teaching, to forgive a debt is unheard of. And he is teaching us to ask for an extravagant amount of grace. So what does Jesus mean when he says that we need to ask for the forgiveness of our moral debts? What is it that we owe that we have defaulted on? Well, first we have incurred debt because we have failed to live up to our God-designed purpose. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22 for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 35, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest command in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So right out of the gate, (laughs) uh, we find that all of us have failed to accomplish the most basic law of God. To love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to honor and obey God as we should. It started in the Garden of Eden uh, in which Adam and Eve decided to emancipate themselves from God and uh, take uh, the rule of their lives onto themselves by eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of loving and trusting His provisions and His restrictions. And because we have inherited Adam's nature, we continue to not honor, to not trust, and not love God as we ought to. Instead, some of us, all of us, we honor, cherish, love, and trust ourselves above all. Some of us live as if this life is all that there is, and so therefore we live any way that we want, regardless of whether or not it is is God's chosen way for us to live. On the other hand, some of us, we feel that we find life by obeying the law perfectly. But both of these ignore God and, and both go against the basic commandment to love the Lord our God. Because of this, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And because of that, in Romans 2, verse 5, Paul reminds us, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. So if you remember a few weeks ago, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And many of us forget that while we pray that God's kingdom would come, we are daily committing a capital crime, lawlessness. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, uh, John says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning is practicing lawlessness. For sin is lawlessness. There are many people that are living today that would indeed profess a love for God, yet their lives display more of Romans chapter 8, verse 7, and James chapter 4, verse 4, which say, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, nor can it? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us with the understanding that we are in a moral debt to God. And it's a debt that we cannot pay. If you have $6,000 on your MasterCard bill, and you call up MasterCard and say, hey, you know what, I would really like it if you just forgave this debt. I promise to do better next time. You think they're just going to say, oh, you promised to do better well, we'll just wipe all that money out. You're clear. Of course they wouldn't. Why? Because they want their money. How much more for God, who in the whole of his character is just. We are headed toward a debt prison, and we need debt forgiveness. You see, there's a lot of talk these days about the federal government forgiving student loans. And they talk about, uh, they talk as if the government can just take an eraser and just blot out, a race and wipe out all of those ledgers as if they never existed. The problem with that is that debt just doesn't go away. It needs to be paid by someone. In the same way, we need debt forgiveness. But it's not as if God can just wipe out those daily crimes against himself. Someone has to pay off that debt. And someone has. And that's our second point this morning. We need to receive forgiveness through Christ alone. Receive forgiveness through Christ alone. See, debt just doesn't go away. It has to be paid. And when it comes to our moral debt, we are so far in the red ourselves that we are hopeless. And there is coming a day in which God is coming to call in the debt. However, when we look to Christ, we find hope. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That is, Jesus enjoyed The richness of heaven, close fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit. And when he took on flesh, he gave up a lot. But in his condescension, he lived a sinless life. He never once incurred a moral debt. He only racked up asset after asset after asset. So much so that when he gave up his life on the cross and rose from the dead, he could offer his assets for a trade for our debts. What he earned in his earthly life was enough to cover all the debt of those who would come to him. In faith. Paul put it this way in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he said, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, When Jesus took on our liabilities, and through faith, we got his assets. This is the most unfair trade in history. But because of God's great love, he freely gave up his son so that we can be freed from the tyranny of our sin debt. And how do we receive this debt forgiveness? It is by trusting in the accomplished work of Christ, in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Romans 5, chapter one, says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to the Lord, asking forgive us our debts we are asking him even if we have been believers in Christ for decades to daily forgive us of the ways that we have failed to love him as we ought yes we have that forgiveness in Christ but we ought not to get prideful in thinking that we can just do whatever we want and it's all good We must daily go to God confessing our sins and asking that the shed blood of Jesus would cover that ledger of debt. We ask God to forgive us our debts in light of what Christ and Christ alone has done for us. The one who never went into debt has paid our debt for us. And finally, we need to diagnose our hearts by our willingness to forgive. We need to diagnose our hearts by, by our willingness to forgive. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? Maybe for some of you, moms was giving birth. Maybe for some of you, it was some stance that you had to take against uh, or in opposition to something. Maybe some of you have pushed yourself to physical and mental limits for whatever reason. Well, in the second part of verse 12, Jesus is reminding us as kingdom citizens that we live with a different ethic. We are forgiven of our sins by God the Father through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit applies that through faith and makes us more like Christ. And one of those areas that the Holy Spirit works in us is perhaps the hardest thing that we will ever do as believers. Forgive others who have hurt us. In the verses just after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says something deadly serious in regard to our new lives in Christ. Look what he says here, in, starting in verse 14 of chapter 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses... Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you see the tension there? We are saved by grace. We're made right. We're forgiven by God. Not because of anything that we have done. Not because of anything that we are. Not because of anything that we could be. But because God forgives felt like giving us a pardon. Yet, in verse 14, it seems conditional, doesn't it? If you, do, if you forgive, he'll forgive you. If you don't, he won't. It sounds as if God's forgiveness is dependent and our salvation is dependent on our actions rather than God freely giving us grace. But I don't think that's what's happening or what Jesus is saying here. Rather, what Jesus is presenting to us is that our willingness to forgive others who have hurt or wronged us is the thermometer by which our faith is measured. A heart that is willing to forgive is one in which the mercury is over 32 degrees. A heart that is not willing to forgive shows a faith that is under 32 degrees. The level of forgiveness that we we dole out is an indication of how well we understand the depths of our sin that is planted in our hearts. Let's look at how Jesus describes this elsewhere. Turn to Matthew chapter 18 for for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... The debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, verses 3 through 4, he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns, you to, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And finally, in Colossians chapter 3, this is what Paul writes, chapter 3, verse 13. If one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Jesus' words here are hard. They're not easy to receive. Without forgiving others, it's clear we will not be forgiven. Our salvation is not based on our willingness to forgive others, but our unwillingness to forgive others is an indication that we don't get the gospel and the depths of which we have sinned against God. And I'm telling you, This is hard. Some of you are victims of abuse. Some of us have had really harsh things said to us throughout the years. Some of us bear emotional and physical scars because of the aggression against us. Now please hear me, I am not dismissing the gravity of the pain of your victimization. But if we want to understand the gospel in all of its greatness, we must see and understand that Jesus is clear, that our sin against God is infinitely greater than anything anyone else could ever do to us in this life. It doesn't mean you go back to your abuser. It doesn't mean that you're admitting that what happened to you was okay. It doesn't mean that forgiveness happens overnight. Sometimes it takes years to get to that point. The question is whether or not you are willing to work toward forgiveness. Are you working toward not holding a grudge or bitterness? Are you working toward not feeling angry every time you think of this person? Because understand now the logic of verse 12 in our passage, Matthew 6, 12. In praying, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, Jesus is asking us to pray that God would forgive us by the measure with which we forgive others. If we were honest with ourselves, would we really want God to forgive us at the same level by which we are willing to forgive other people? So it is in the Lord's prayer that we're not only recognizing our deep need for forgiveness but we're also asking us we're asking God to give us hearts that break for those that hurt us This is so foreign and countercultural to us that it might be the single hardest thing you do in your life Jesus is teaching us to pray for the forgiveness of the sin of unforgiveness. It seems impossible. And it draws us to the mindset of the disciples in Matthew chapter 19. When the disciples heard uh, what Jesus was saying, they were greatly astonished and they said to Jesus, well, who then, (laughs) who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the essence of the gospel. God makes the impossible possible. People like us, people that are like Ikea packages with, with, with bad instructions, no tools, who put things on upside down and backwards. God makes us new. And by his grace through faith, he applies Jesus' merits to us and gives our debts to him. We who have committed cosmic treason against the king of the universe are not made to be noble subjects, but beloved sons and daughters of the king. And as beloved sons and daughters, we take on the characteristics of our kingly father. We who are forgiven, Are now the forgiving. Friends, this is the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information about our church, you can find us on the web at www.emmanuelmora.com or on Facebook by searching for Emmanuel Mora. If you'd like to partner with us in our mission, consider giving financially to our ministry. You can conveniently give right from your mobile device by texting any word to 320-313-1950. There are options for one-time giving or recurring gifts on a schedule that you set. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Mora, Knowing Christ and Making Him Known